You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and change maker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. You just heard a great original composition by my son, Asher Schreiber. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. I'd like to welcome Alan Einstein to the Make Meaning Podcast. Alan is founder and president of the Einstein Method and a retired public school teacher. Welcome to Make Meaning, Alan. Welcome. To, it's great to be here. I'm so glad to meet you, and I'm so excited to hear about the Einstein Method. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is and how it came to be? Sure. The Einstein Method is a uh, nonprofit that I started in 2016 um, after 32 years of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, and my goal is to go into schools and help teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachers, I don't think, are prepared for today's student. Uh, it's really important for them to have tools to understand that boys and girls learn differently and sure. brain research will show you that. And sure. there's been so much brain research in the last 10 years to prove it. Uh-huh. And also how to deal with at-risk students. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. You taught for 32 years. What did you teach and what grades primarily? Uh, in my 32-year teaching career, I taught at all levels. Actually, I started off in high school. Okay. And then I taught a year of elementary school and I ended my career with about 20 years of uh, middle school. Oh, wow, teaching, you're a saint. <laughs> <laughs> teaching regular ed and special education. I was teaching learning disabled and emotionally impaired kids along with autistic kids every once in a while. Okay. And I got fed up with IEPCs and legal things and realized so many kids were falling through the cracks. Okay. So I wanted to start something. Actually, I was going to get out of teaching, and I went and talked to my superintendent and said I need to do something to help kids that, that really need help okay. that are just desperate. So I started a program for uh, kids who had failed the sixth and seventh grade, I had them all day long in the eighth grade, taught them the whole eighth grade curriculum. But more than that, I taught them about manners and what success was sure. and what it meant to be accountable to yourself. And uh, I f- found all the students to be what I called environmentally impaired. Okay. They came from homes where there either were not two parents or there was abuse taking place or alcohol or drug problems. Sure. And just their environment wasn't conducive to learning. Right. Well, if you don't have the basic building blocks of life, it's really hard to excel at learning because you're just trying to, you know, make your next meal or um, avoid the wrath of somebody that is supposed to care for you. And um, that's a really tough, tough situation. So you said that you think that teachers are not prepared for today's students. How so? Well, I think that the teachers are, are unfortunately, the teaching all across America, not just in the Detroit area or not just, you know, in the state of Michigan, the, the teachers are 
Uh, first of all, they're not respected. The the whole education, I, I feel since 1957, mm-hmm. when Sputnik went up, uh, there hasn't been a push for education in our country. Okay. So the teachers today are teaching to test. They're teaching yes. to um, – they're not teaching to help kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're teaching to save money for districts. You know, they're going to tri-semesters in high schools. Mm-hmm. They're cutting programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, their class sizes are ridiculous. I was in – uh, I went back to my former elementary school in Detroit, which uh-huh. used to be called Hampton. Okay. And now it, it's Palmer Park Ad- Academic Academy. Okay. And that's the school that three weeks ago was closed down totally. Oh. And they moved the kids to another building. Oh, wow. There was 45 kids in a classroom. <gasps> oh, uh, the broken windows. The teachers are, are tired because they're dealing with so much, uh, you know, not even Behavior. connected with, with education. Yeah. That they're they're doing parenting and yet they're not getting the support either. Sure. So I'm going in and showing them, uh, you know, I, I feel that the teachers, what they're doing is not wrong. Mm-hmm. I just think they need some other tools sure. to, to realize, you know, that boys need movement, that, that, that it's really important. And the girls are very verbal. Sure. You know, uh, one of the things I've learned, I work with a woman named Karen Boyko I taught with for many years, mm-hmm. and she's a specialist on brain research. And, you know, boys speak 7,000 uh, 7, words a day, huh. and yet females speak 20,000 words a day. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So, right. So uh-huh. those are things that if teachers know that, right. it's real important. And brain breaks are so important sure. in a classroom. A kid can't sit, a boy cannot sit still. For more than 20 minutes. You know, it's really interesting. I have four kids um, between the ages of 11 and 16. And I've chaperoned choir concerts before where they have to have their dress rehearsal just before the concert. Um, Especially in middle school, I noticed this. There's always the parent that chaperones who's like the real tough police officer. And I try to be the opposite of that where I, you know, you want to maintain order and help the teacher, but you can be cool with the kids too. And I remember one one time we were sitting in the auditoriums. The kids had been in school all day, and then they had maybe an hour and a half between when they were dismissed and they had to come back for the rehearsal. And this other parent wanted the kids to sit still and be quiet while they were rehearsing. And they were all boys. It was an all-boys choir. And I remember saying – they need to run a couple laps around the building before they can come to rehearsal because they just have to get the energy out. It's not, it's not, you're setting them up for failure if you expect them to sit and be quiet all day. That's, that's absolutely true. And, and, and yet you go into a school building and they don't have physical education anymore. Right. You go into a school building and they, they're sitting in straight rows. Mm-hmm. They should be on pillows. They should be on b- balls that they're sitting on. They should be standing. Yep. They should be moving all the time in order to give them a chance to succeed. Yes. Have you read the uh, manifesto that Seth Godin wrote called Stop Stealing Dreams? I have not. You should check that out. It's it's a number of years old now, but um, he's a marketing guru and he's real thought leader. And he was basically talking about how the educational system we have now no longer fits for what our society is, that it was a post-industrial, it was an industrial age system. Check it out. Stop Stealing well, Dreams. And, and, and that's exactly what I'm saying to these teachers. Every kid is not, we're still teaching as if every kid's going to college. Right. And we need to, you know, we're not teaching the trades. We're not, we're not, we're not fitting the needs of the kids and asking the kids what they want to learn either. Right. Not right. that they should have all the input, but but there should be some listening skills. Yes. And they should have some input. If this is a career they're going to carve out, they, they should, their individuality should be encouraged. And I think that's hard for a classroom teacher to try to nurture each individual student and teach the classroom. Sure. I think that's a tall order. Well, in, in forming the nonprofit, the Einstein, the Einstein method, it's what we're trying to do is show that there is a, another way of doing things. I mean, sure. we get into routines, and because you go to a university and they teach you to write re- lesson plans, well, lesson plans to me are outdated because you have to be flexible. Right. And you can't teach the same class five times 
in a day and think that every class is going to be at the same level. Sure. It's just unrealistic. Right. So tell me about the Einstein method. What exactly do you do and how do you empower teachers? Well, the Einstein method is uh, very exciting to me because what we're doing is we're going in and showing teachers ways of um, and by demonstrating and modeling when we do our presentations. The presentations are normally two hours in length minimum and up until a whole day. But it's it's been a learning process of the nonprofit world, and the process is, I mean, so far we've spoken, we've given 24 presentations to about 800 teachers. That's amazing. Congratulations. Is, well, thank you. But by the same token, I want to be busier. Sure. So, But it's hard to get into buildings because with funding now, yeah. it's very difficult for teachers to get any release time besides their staff meetings after school. Sure. And the buildings we're going into, especially in the Detroit area, the teachers are required to stay an hour once a week after school. So I've gotten some creative principals who will give them a week off and then we'll do a two-hour presentation for them. Oh, wow. So what we're doing is showing them um, by modeling, you know, different activities, whether it be relays, whether it be, uh, you know, building things. Uh, there's there's so many activities where they're standing up doing things, where they're doing exercises to mm-hmm. get their bodies moving, their their uh we just role model so many different activities sure. to get the teacher to understand that you can't sit still. Yeah. You know, my younger son attends Detroit Waldorf School, and part of the Waldorf philosophy is being outside in almost all weather um, and frequent recesses. He's just finishing sixth grade. They have three recesses a day. And they take that from the research in Finland where kids every 45 minutes have recessed so that they can synthesize what they learned with that physical movement. So it's really interesting research. It sounds like you're onto something that we really need in our schools. Well, and it's interesting. The average time, a recent study was just done, and the average time a youngster is outside now unstructured. Mm-hmm is seven minutes a day. Oh, that's so sad. Okay. Now, when I was younger, we'd be out playing in the street, whether it be frisbee or football or, or kickball or, yeah. or, or something, yep. and we would come in 15 minutes after our parents called us in for dinner. <laughs> exactly. But this is why we have so many problems with ADD and ADHD, because the kids don't get any fresh air. And obesity. O- obesity, for sure. And and what the, and that's another thing we go into, is the chemicals in the in the brain of what's ca- causing all the stress and the serotonin and the cortisol and, and it's, I mean it's really uh, the teachers have no knowledge of this stuff. Sure. Well, it sounds like you're really passionate about what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about how you make meaning in your work and in your life. You know what what really keeps you motivated? What keeps me motivated is really sharing in my life. It's, it's sharing my experiences and, and things that I have done mm-hmm. uh, and trying to pass them along and be positive mm-hmm. and realize and teaching the kids they're not the lone ranger. They're not the only ones who go through um, what they're going through. Sure. Um, it's very, very frustrating for a kid. They, they think they're, they're out there by themselves mm-hmm. and there's, there's no reason to feel that way. Um, kids have a feeling that the, they're the worst off, but there's always kids with worse problems. Sure. Uh, one of the when I started my program, the first things we did is I took the kids to hospitals and saw some really sick kids. I went to Ian Jackson's program at Providence Hospital mm-hmm. with reconstructive surgery to their faces. Oh wow! And they saw really deformed kids. And we went out to Europeds and Pontiac, where kids uh, through muscular problems couldn't walk, and they were all these contraptions on them. Mm-hmm. And then the the uh, neuro uh, cancers program at St. Joe's and saw kids hooked up getting IVs. Wow. And they leave there realizing that things aren't so bad in their lives. Sure. And at Christmas time, we do a lot of charity work and we provide a Christmas for a family. And the kids were just shocked that 
they didn't want toys and games. They wanted pots and pans and pillows and blankets and, and clothing yeah. uh, that they really had needs for. Sure. So when a kid realizes that, like, yeah, there are a lot of people worse off than me, and I'm lucky that I have at least one parent, or I'm lucky I have someone who cares about me. Sure. Um, it, 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 it shows them, first of all, what success is when they feel good about themselves. And once they gain that success, they want to keep it. Sure. So, you know, lots of people might uh, be passionate about teaching and kids and, and notice um, issues with the system, but it takes a special person to actually do something about it. Where do you think you got that motivation and inspiration to even start the Einstein Method? Was there somebody who was a role model for you or influenced you to take that leap? Well, definitely. I have the, the, the answer that nobody would think of, my mother. Yeah? Yeah. My, yeah. my father died when I was young, oh, and my mother uh, was a school teacher in Detroit, Okay, and my mother had a positive attitude about everything. She would find uh, the good in everybody and everything. Uh, wow. She'd always find the option of doing the right thing all the time uh-huh. and teaching that also, and never frowning and always having a smile on her face. What a gift. What, oh, it was. I was very, very fortunate. Um, it was... Uh, I was, it was special. Yeah, absolutely. It's very special. So what is your hope for the Einstein Method? Where would you like it to go? You know, What outcomes do you want to see down the road? I'd like to see it continue for many, many years. I'd like to hopefully uh, remain having the funding and the, and, the, and the generous donors that I have because I charge no fees at all to the schools because I know the schools that I want to serve don't have any money. There's mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some wealthy schools that have asked me to come and really I don't, I don't want to go there. Okay. I really want to deal with the uh, underserved communities. Okay. And I'd like this to go on for, for many years uh, and, you know, train people to, to work underneath me and uh, have the donors continue to support it. It's been so far, it's been just a wonderful experience and uh, very rewarding. So as we come to a close of this conversation, do you have any pieces of advice for our listeners about how to find your purpose or how to add meaning to your life? There's so many, but one of the key things that in my classroom that I always taught is to listen. You have two ears and one mouth. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me you should listen twice as much as you talk. Mm -hmm. And if you can look up in the every morning when you get up and go in the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you're smiling, Mm -hmm. things are going right. If you don't if you don't have a smile on your face, you need to change what you're doing. And change doesn't take place unless you write down a goal and try and attain the goal. Mm-hmm. And most adults, let alone most kids, don't write down goals. Sure. And uh, that's that would be my advice. That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for being here, Alan Einstein. To our listeners, you've been talking today with Alan Einstein, founder and president of the Einstein Method. And you can learn more about him and what he's created at the EinsteinMethod.org. Thank you so much for being part of Make Meaning. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.